count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. It's time for another episode of the Wooten Y Show. Welcome back to another episode of the Woot and Y Show. I'm Josh Y, and I'm joined yet again by a special guest host. Um, I think he's kind of the third wheel now of the Woot and Y Show. His name is RJ Ochoa. You can follow him on Twitter, at RJ Ochoa. He is the host of Ocho Live. I thoroughly suggest people check that out every single day on Facebook, Periscope, or Twitter. He is a writer for ESPN San Antonio. He's a writer for Blogging the Boys. And he's an all-round good dude. RJ Choa, welcome back to the show. How are we, mate? I am doing well, my friend. Uh, if I'm the third wheel, my request is that if we're a tricycle of sorts, that you and I are the front wheels and that Woot is the back. Okay. That way you and I are hanging out like bros. Yeah, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I reckon that uh, that could work. Although, is it, it, isn't a tricycle normally the f- is one wheels at the front and then there's two at the back? There are different ones. Because okay. I, I feel like... I feel like Younger children have the two in the front yep. uh, and the one in the back. It's okay. like two big ones in the front, so okay. to speak. Yeah, and we're the big ones. All right. Speaking of big ones, there was two big uh, road underdog wins in Wild Card Weekend last week, and then the other two road dogs kept things interesting by covering the spread. So four teams covered the spread as underdogs last week in Wild Card Weekend. So everyone thought, oh, look, and uh, we didn't go too well in our predictions, but Everyone, th- we, we thought maybe an underdog would win. It was just a lot of people were saying all the favorites would win. It's a pretty simple round, but never goes to plan in the playoffs. It really doesn't. And, you know, I'm really excited for this weekend. You know, yeah. people like to say this, you know, whatever is the best weekend in sports. I, you know, divisional weekend is typically just fantastic. But yep. wild card kind of lived up to uh, the hype a little bit. I mean, we had some good games. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we did. We had some good football. And then obviously yesterday we had that national championship game. That went mm. to overtime. Um, I'm severely depressed. Um, I uh, those that know me or are close to me know that I had a small wager on Georgia at fifty one, fifty to one odds to win the whole thing at the start of the season. So uh, I'm a little bit uh, flat at the moment, uh, given given the result. I was very excited, but how much torture can the state of Georgia go through in terms of big game collapses? Man, dude. I mean, look. All I know is the Masters is in Augusta in a few weeks, and something's going to happen, right? I mean, it, at this point, the the curse is in the soil, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen to somebody. It has. To, it's up to to Matty Ice to to rid this curse. He kind of started it all a little bit with Kyle Shanahan. They've exercised him out of the. Maybe they could get back into the Super Bowl and avenge it and turn turn the crowd around. And we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But before we do move on, I just want to mention uh, the Lunar Bowl. You can please get tickets. We're still selling tickets. Um, we're up to nearly five hundred tickets sold now. Um, we want more. So please, if you are in Sydney or Australia and want to come up to uh, the iconic Lunar Park, one of the best venues in Sydney, right on the harbour, Harbour Bridge, Opera House in the background, while you watch the Super Bowl uh, is $150. You get four and a half hours of, of unlimited beverage, uh, but please drink responsibly. Um, American food, all-you-can-eat buffet. There's a pre-game sale gate where you get a beer on board and you can listen to, to Wood and I preview the game. Uh, there's a 25-inch hot dog to everybody that arrives 
and then you get some souvenir hats and holders and things, and we raise some money for Save Our Sons as well. And after the game is finished, you have entry to Luna Park and a rides, um, unlimited rides and passes as well. So you're getting everything there for $150. RJ is contemplating coming out, but obviously will not be doing so. Because you're going to the game. I'm, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not going to the game itself. I did last year, but okay. I will be there uh, okay. for media week. Uh, Where will you but be every time. It? Uh, I'll be watching it in San Antonio um, okay. at my humble abode, but okay. I am excited for the week. There we go. So I always, I always enjoy, you know, when you talk about this, by the way, and I've said this before, because it's 25 inches. I love that, you know, uh, the non-metric is making an appearance. Yeah, it's it's American, so we adopt your uh, archaic uh, measurement system. Uh, hey, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's our game. We use yards. Yeah, so, uh, you know, let's go. Yeah, that's good. Uh, all right, let's uh, talk some news in a second. But before we do that, favorite thing from Wildcard Weekend, uh, what what stood out to you? What was your favorite thing from that weekend? Well, I know it was the first game, and I knew in the moment that it was going to be my favorite thing. And I feel like it's very obvious. It was just so incredible. Marcus Mariota's touchdown. That was, I mean, the, the the fact that he caught it alone is, is one level of impressiveness. He was falling over. That's that's what I'm saying. The, <laughs> the wherewithal, the presence of mind, the athleticism the to still dive and, and, and to get to, to hit the pylon. I mean, I, I really believe he might be the only person on earth who could have made that play. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. Although uh, Tua from last night probably probably could have made that play. The uh, the fellow Hawaiian brother there uh, showing his <laughs> athleticism at times. Uh, could have maybe made that play, but yeah, it, it was incredible. Um, I wish I didn't ask you first. I wish I went first because that would have been my favorite thing. But uh, for me, Blake Bortles <laughs> taking out the cameraman and just the, the the sheer sort of three seconds in the slow-mo where you could see the cameraman know that this is coming, cannot get out of the way at all, and the look on his face, a complete horror um, as Blake Bortles can, it completely takes him out. He hangs onto the camera, though. Tough guy. Um, I thought that was uh, a pretty funny moment, just uh, and scaring and, and horrifying at the same time. But uh, I definitely uh, I like that play. It was great because we got to see Tony Romo sort of lay up a compliment for Jim Nance. How he said, "Man, dude, you know, you saw this guy for three seconds, and you know his name uh, says a lot about old Jimmy." Yeah, he does. Uh, Tony Romo was fantastic, except he you could hear him gritting his teeth at the quarterback play, knowing that he was the best quarterback. At that stadium, right? Oh, of course. I mean, it, it's it has to be just a level of pain I can't imagine. A level of pain far worse than any broken collarbone he they, ever had. They should have signed him at halftime. They they really should have. If if if, <laughs> if he had if the Jags had Tony Romo playing for them on Sunday, they would win, right? Oh yeah, but I selfishly I wanted him to go to the Bills uh, last off season just because I've always really had a, a place in my heart for that franchise, and so it would have been really easy to root for uh, the Romo led Bills. They win too, for what it's worth. If Romo's there, oh definitely, I mean, hundred percent. Romo and Zay Jones and and all those toys. Let's do it. Yep. All right, let's move on. Talking tidbits. tidbits. All right, let's talk some news. And uh, Matt Nagy, uh, the former offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, was hired by the Bears to be their next head coach. Um, The Chicago Sun-Times' Adam Jaynes reported uh, that Ryan Pace interviewed Nagy on Sunday and has decided that he's the guy to replace John Fox, who was fired after the season. Um, The Chiefs' offense took off after Nagy was given play-calling duties late in the season, and the coach was uh, very high on Mitchell Trubisky heading into last year's draft. So 
obviously the fit the fit here is uh, kind of on a bit of a theme here in the NFL where you hire the complete opposite of what you've previously had, and Matt Nagy is somewhat the complete opposite of John Fox. He really is. Uh, he's the opposite in terms of philosophy, and he's also the opposite in that he has had success in recent memory. Yep. I like this move for the Bears. I, I really, really, really do. This You mentioned it's sort of the thing to go opposite, but it's also the thing, apparently, to go with the young hotshot. And now we're talking like Sean McVay level. Yeah, yeah. Not just There's going to be a general. thousand articles written about um, Nagy Trubisky being the next uh, McVay golf, right? Oh, oh my gosh. It's going uh, to wear uh, thin by, uh, you know, April, uh, even June. I don't know. It, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to start to get old. But I do like it from that aspect um, because you need someone that can develop Trubisky and put him in a, in, a, in a system or a place to succeed. He's obviously shown that he has all the tools and can make all the throws, but they need to get um, him more involved and, and get a little bit more creative. And I do like what Nagy can do with, Tariq Cohen after seeing what he did with Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill and, and and Jordan Howard as well. This is going to be great. I mean, I like the Bears. I mean, they're a team like the Bills that I sort of have a deep appreciation for. And even though they sort of just blew the doors off the Cowboys that season, the 2013 Bears were awesome. The Josh McCown year uh, where yeah. Mark Tressman was the evil scientist. I really enjoyed that Bears team. And so I'd like to see them kind of round into form. That'd be great. Challenge Aaron Rodgers. Make the NFC North fun again. Yeah, well, not just Aaron Rodgers. This uh, Kings of the North, the uh, Minnesota Vikings as well. But That's true. Um, Vic Fangio, his future's still up in the air. He's very sought after at the moment. But if Nagy can uh, contain him and, and keep him as the defensive coordinator, I think they're, I think they're in, good, in good stead. And Nagy has said he will um, take the play-calling duties for the Bears as well. Also a new thing. I like it. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on. I do thought I do think they were going to go McDaniels, but um, I, I do think Nagy, McDaniels, or DeFilippo was definitely going to be one of the one of the three that the Bears got. So I like the hire. Um, as a Colts fan, I'm not mad either. I know he was on our list, but um, I trust Chris Ballard 100%. Um, all right, Panthers, wow. they fired uh, offensive coordinator Mike Shuler and quarterback coach Ken Dorsey. Shuler's been with the Panthers since... 2011, which is all of Cam Newton's career. He's been the offensive coordinator since 2013, but it's hardly a surprise. The passing game has struggled a lot this season, been very inconsistent, um, and it's taken a couple of steps back, um, given what we've seen from Cam since the MVP season. But um, he was the leading rusher this year, Cam Newton. And look, we're going to talk about the game later on, but the lack of weapons and, and creativity has really, really hurt Cam Newton this season. It really has. And, you know, again, I, I don't want to sort of sell away the farm early, but what Cam did on Sunday was spectacular individually. Definitely. But, I mean, Mike Shula, it, it's got to be a bitter pill to swallow if you're the Panthers uh, with everything that's going on with that organization. When you look over and Alvin Kamara is just going off and you have a version of that that you paid a, a whole hell of a lot higher price for in Christian McCaffrey. And we finally got to see sort of a splash of that oh, in the Superdome. Yeah. But, I mean – it is really inexcusable that Christian McCaffrey kind of just sat on the shelf all season long, again, when somebody within their division found a way to use a player of similar talents. Yeah, and it's not... I wouldn't say the talent level between Kamara and McCaffrey is that huge. I just think that Kamara is used much more efficient, efficiently. Obviously, he's a little bit bigger and bulkier as well and in, in that regard, so he can sort of break off a few more tackles than McCaffrey. But yeah, I think that's a great look at just using those two players, for example, and... and 
the range of coaching. So I do think this is going to be good for the Panthers, but I do not want them to go down um, a route where they get someone that will try and make Cam a pocket passer because he's not he's not a pure pocket passer. You need to let him run. You need to let him do his thing because when he gets in his zone and builds up his confidence, that's when he's sort of that, that freight train that's unstoppable. He is. Uh, he's certainly something special. It, it's hard to find a name right now that I feel confident trusting you know the corvette that is cam newton to uh but you're right i I really don't want to see them relegate him uh to staying within the pocket because part of what makes him special is that ability to make those plays and take those risks that so many other people can't yeah look he can make plays in the pocket i'm not saying that he cannot do that as well but i do think he needs to just do a little bit of a range i think north turner's name's been thrown out there i'm not about that (laughs) i mean when is north turner ever you know, succeeded with a mobile quarterback. I don't want to say that Cam's a mobile quarterback, but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. when has he ever utilized that tool? Yeah, exactly. That's a strange name to be thrown out there, uh, but we'll watch that space. Uh, the Bengals hired Terrell Austin as its as their defensive coordinator. Uh, Austin was a, a hot name on the coaching circuit, sort of more last year than, than this year, but drew some interest from the Raiders and was connected to the Packers as well. I think he interviewed for Detroit as well, but... Um, he's kind of doing a sideways jump. He was the defensive coordinator at the Lions, but wants a change change of scenery and has moved across to uh, to the Bengals, where he will work with Carl Lawson, Vontaze Burfitt, Carlos Dunlap, and William Jackson. Some good young pieces there. One slightly insane piece, but uh, it's a it's a talented defense. I do think uh, that's a good hire. I would go as far to say as they sh- should just make him their head coach. It's funny you say that because I remember after the Cowboys beat them in the 2014 wildcard round, a lot of people thought that Terrell Austin would be a head coach then. And it's kind of surprising that he hasn't really gotten a shot. Um, I I also am sort of puzzled. I'm puzzled that Terrell Austin isn't a head coach, but I'm probably more puzzled that he chose the Bengals. I, mm-hmm. I know what you said. I mean, there's certainly a lot of talent, but why would you saddle yourself to Marvin Lewis, who is potentially going to be fired next year, and then you're out on the street looking for uh, certainly not a head coaching gig in all likelihood? I mean, it just seems like uh, you're, you're sort of signing up to crash and burn. Yeah, although I do think there might be a succession plan in place where he's been told that, look, if, if Marvin Jones doesn't quite turn things around like you know we have signed into an extension but that doesn't mean that he he's not unfireable we could fire him in week eight or week nine next season and you're the obvious guy and then Marvin has uh Lewis has kind of done a good job in developing coordinators I think he's I think that's kind of underrated like a lot of former coordinators have gone on to do pretty good things after working with him I know they've worked at other places as well but um, I don't know maybe that's kind of the the reason in place or maybe Terrell Lawson just didn't feel safe with what was going to happen if if it seems like the Lions might be hiring Matt Patricia? So maybe that changes Terrell Austin's role completely. Uh, that's fair, and you're right, Matt. Uh, not Matt, Mike Zimmer, obviously Jay Gruden. So uh, all right, I, I can buy it. You convinced me. Well done. All right, there we go. Um, and today, uh, the Raiders uh, they they wheeled out John Gruden as the head coach um, for his press conference. He took the opportunity, well, they took the former opportunity to announce uh, Greg Olson, Paul Gunther. And uh, Rich Basaccia, is that the correct pronunciation of that name? That is. Well done. Thank you. Um, as their uh, coordinators for offense, defense, and special teams. Um, and Gruden also pledged to work together with GM Reggie McKenzie on the roster decisions. He said it would be a collaborative effort. Um, Gruden insisted that we've got to work together. Bottom line, it's a team effort. Um, now, he's 54 years old, hasn't coached a game since December 28, 2008, 
You'll also uh, own the play calling duties in 2018. And uh, the key message in his press conference was that he has a lot to prove. And I think he's absolutely right about that. He, uh, you know, he came across, I thought, really well. I mean, he came across like somebody who's been in television for a decade. Yeah, it's kind of like he, he knows the media. <laughs> exactly. He's, you know, I think he's easily the most advanced head coach in terms of public relations as of now mm-hmm. in the NFL. And I think he, he did a great job at sort of winning people over. And he did a great job of sort of selling the, the Raiders quality to his whole press conference. You know, talked about how he couldn't wait to see the black hole. He talked to the former players there. And, and personally, as, a, as an NFL fan, I thought it was great how he said, you know, as, as long as I'm here, you guys are welcome. You know, we're going to create sort of like a brotherhood. And, and you think of a franchise like the Raiders with such a legacy that they have. I mean – I'm I'm a little into the pomp and circumstance. Why you might have to, you know, I'm I'm kind of floating. I'm kind of excited. I yeah. I, I hate to uh, to be that guy. I feel like no, I, I don't blame you. I think it's cool. I think it's from a marketing and PR move. I think it's a genius move by Mark Davis from a coaching point of view. Who knows? Like that's the jury's still out there. We'll have to wait and see. I'm not going to throw him under the bus after the first season as well. I'll give him sort of two seasons to work it out. But I think he is the right figurehead for this uh, unique time uh, in Raiders history where they're going to be moving and all this sort of stuff. But I think he he's a guy that can rally and unite former players, the team, um, the fans, everything. I do feel like he is the perfect guy to handle all of that. I certainly agree. And I know that when I first saw this, I, I sent you a message because you're my you're my pal, yep. and I was curious to see what you thought about this whole situation. And we were kind of laughing at the yeah. financial commitment the Raiders years, have made. Mil. And, and you know, I think about that, and I'm a I'm a Texas A&M Aggie, so I mean, I'm well aware of uh, steep commitments uh, at a high <laughs> price to big time head coaches. But you know, when 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 my fellow Ags and I were talking about the Jimbo movie, it was kind of like, well, that's not. I mean, first of all, it's not our money. And second of all, it's not like that money, you know, is relegated to anything. It's not like there's a salary cap. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Yep. And so, so like, as, as silly as it sounds, I mean, is it really a disadvantage? No, it's just Mark Davis has to pay it. And who does that affect? Exactly. Um, I just, the, the 10-year commitment was the thing that really was, uh, that I was phased more about than the actual money side of things. It, it is uh, it is inordinate, but I mean to your point, if you're selling, we're 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 this family, we're we're moving together, we're one. I mean, you know, you uh you gotta you gotta go all in, and so uh, Mark Davis is an all in type of guy, and and no pun intended because they're going to Vegas of all places, but yep. it's an all in move by an all in franchise, and uh, I'm I'm kind of really really liking it. Yeah, I I dig the analogy. Three point stance. All right, three-point stance time. It's essentially a four-point stance at this point, if that's even possible. But four games that we're going to talk about here um, and, and talk about from Wild Card Weekend. We're going to recap the games and some talking points arising from that game. And then we'll uh, we'll preview divisional round. And that's a pretty simple formula here in the playoffs. But uh, that's how we do things here. That's how we roll at uh, Wooten YHQ. All right, first game, upset. 22-21, Tennessee Titans over Kansas City. Uh, what do you know? The fraudulent Chiefs are frauds. This is um, this is something that I'm sure made you quite happy. Very happy. I think that – am I wrong here that Andy Reid has lost five consecutive home playoff games? Um, I think that – That's absurd. Is the case. They won one game – was it last year or the year before? Uh, 
and then oh, they, they won they, in Houston. That's when right. They, they won beat, in Houston. When they beat Brian Hoyer, like thirty nil, and then they got pumped the next week. But they have. He has, and I think this goes back to Philadelphia. Uh, he has won, lost five straight home playoff games. That's amazing. It's crazy. Um, that's that just is nuts. It's man, it, there is a lot. Just looking at the Chiefs in general, not even just Andy Reid. That they've won one playoff game since 1994. Mm. That's mm. that is insane. Like, oh, man, that is. That is crazy to me. Uh, yeah, they especially after the lead as well. You get to a you get to a fourteen point lead, and why didn't Kareem Hunt get more carries? You head into the half twenty one to three. You have the regular season rushing champion on your team, and then he saw four second half rush attempts. I, what what's the go there? That that's definitely something that needs to be talked about. It's. Absurd, and it's frustrating. And I, I think I, you share this sentiment. I think this, you know, I've said before, this is a team that had a chance to knock off the Patriots. Certainly, I, I mean, didn't they buy beat that them. In, well, they did beat them in Week One. I mean, That's there, right. there was logic to that. Point, you can win all. a battle, but you can never win a war against Bill Belichick. Sure, but they stood a better shot than the Titans. Is is really the point at hand here? Yeah, and this, it, it's so, it's, it's. Both sad and hilarious how this is a microcosm, both of Andy Reid and Alex Smith. Poor Alex Smith is going to get run out of town for something that really isn't his fault, but really the collective efforts of a franchise that just doesn't know how to do this. Yeah, it is It is pretty insane. And, and, and two of those losses have seen freak plays. We had the Andrew Luck fumble recovery, and he leapt over mm. the line, and I famously have a Photoshopped edition of that with him wearing a Superman cape. Because um, he's got his hand up in the air like he is literally Superman. And look, I don't know, maybe he is. Um, but that's a, a conversation for a different time. And then you had this play, insane play, um, by Marcus Mariota, or Marcus Marigoda, if you want to go down that route. But he had a pretty average game throwing the ball. But, you, you know, he was a menace when he took off and started to run the ball, picked up a few first downs with his legs, had a 10-yard scramble, and then had that play where he was falling over. We've already talked about it, scored the touchdown, but there, there's some freak plays that, that have cost you playoff games, but collapsing and, and losing this game, blowing a 21 to 10 lead is probably the, uh, the end of the Alex Smith era. And it's, it is pretty crazy because he's got a 50 and 26 record in five seasons with the chiefs, but it's the same old story every year with the chiefs. And it's part of the reason why they're going to move on. And they have some, tough decisions to be made because he kind of had his best season. It's, it feels kind of wrong to get rid of him. It, it's, it's the most chiefs way possible for this all to end. Yep. Um, and for Alex Smith's time there to end. And, you know, nobody really gives Alex Smith the proper credit. I feel like if this had happened to any other franchise, people would really make this a big deal. And I know there's, there's the political angle to this, but nobody has ever killed the 49ers for choosing Colin Kaepernick, the player over Alex Smith. When Alex is clearly, clearly has been the better option since 2013 when they made that trade. I I mean, that's amazing that they ditched him. Yeah, that that is actually insane. I think for that that season, it was probably the better option, but long-term, definitely not. But if they didn't have that, then they wouldn't have the greatest quarterback of all time on their roster in Jimmy Garoppolo right now. So (laughs) um, we have to to figure that out. But, you know, Alex Smith's playoff games, apart from – Laying an egg last year against the Steelers um, has been pretty, pretty good. He's he's got a ninety-seven point five passer rating in the playoffs. He's thrown fourteen touchdowns and only two interceptions. Yet 
you know, he has a two and five record as a as a player, and that's where I struggle with like looking at quarterbacks and playoff records. A lot of the times, it's weird things that are out of your control, especially special teams, and we'll get to that in a minute in the Rams game. Stuff like that always affects your record and ultimately how you're portrayed as an actual NFL quarterback. But his record and and his play in the playoffs is is huge. And if you put him on a team that that needs a quarterback, he could be a difference maker next season. So it'll be interesting to see where he leaves. But I do think they are going to get rid of him. He carries a cap hit of twenty million, so they could save about seventeen million if they choose to trade or cut him. Um, I do think he could be a great landing spot for a team like uh, Arizona um, if they want to trade in the division, possibly Denver. I think that those are are both excellent choices. I know we've sort of pegged him to Denver before, but you're right that that his legacy is is really marred by some weird things. And he's, he's won two playoff games. It's really insane. And one of them was that amazing 2011 game against the Saints, the Vernon Davis game, one of the best games, playoff games I've ever seen. Right. And, and the week later, the NFC championship game against the giants, I, I forget who it was, but there was a 49er who, who let the a punt touch him? I, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, near the end of that game, let a punt touch him, and the Giants recovered, and that's what sort of spurred the giant victory that sent them to Super Bowl Forty Six. I mean, if not for that play, Alex Smith probably goes on to win the Super Bowl it against is, the Patriots in your stadium. It is pretty insane. We just I just mentioned the special teams, and then you bring up another special teams player like that. It, it's so overrated, uh, underrated as how important it is in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's why you have to respect Bill Belichick because he always has his special teams ready to go. Like, he is always so strong. They always finish, like, a top five special teams unit. And, and the Rams, they finished this year as one and, and, and obviously crapped the bed against the Falcons. We'll get to that game in a minute. But um, one last thing on uh, the, the Titans is... This win kind of locks up Mike Malarkey now for another season. So even in a win, you kind of lose. This was very poorly handled, I thought, by uh, Titans ownership because there was the the word that if he lost this game, he was going to be fired. And I I don't I just don't agree with that disposition. That there should never be a single game where your your mind is made mm-hmm. up, you exactly. know, off of that. And so whether he wins or loses, I mean, your decision should be based on a lot of data, objectively, not emotionally. And it's clear this this feels like and I'm not trying to sort of uh, beat you when you're down, my friend. But this feels like when the Colts rallied for Chuck Pagano. That's kind of what this feels like. Yeah. If it if you actually are saying if he loses a game, he should be fired. You should already have fired said coach. If that's totally what, agree. If that's what you're coming down to, you clearly don't want him or don't see him as the long-term answer uh, to your franchise. So, yeah, it, it's kind of a poor taste because I would love to see Mariota with someone a little bit more creative, like a DiFilippo or um, a McDaniels. We talked off air a little bit about that. Um, he would be a, a good offensive coordinator or, or a coach for, for Marcus Mariota's skill set, who, as I said, had an average game, but he had some great plays on third downs where he hit Delaney Walker up the seam and things like that. He still can make some players. I don't think they're going to absolutely trouble the Patriots in any way whatsoever, but uh, you know, he's had a bad season, but he still made some plays when the chips were down and the game was uh, on the line. He's certainly very talented, and you can see that uh, yep. certainly many times. Yep. Um, and speaking of a talented quarterback that just needed the right coach to fit, that's the Rams, and they went into the season um, with you know not really playoff expectations but they started to 
started to pick up more and more, and more steam as the season went on as Sean McVay um, coached up a brilliant plan for this offense, and, and they went into the playoffs averaging 29.9 points per game, which I think was the league high at this point. But playoff experience matters, RJ, and, and the Rams were unable to come up with the win, losing 26-13, to 13, and the Rams just had a lack of playoff experience. I think... The, the guy on their roster that had playoff experience was Andrew Whitworth, and a lot of that was just first-round exits at the hands of Andy Dalton. I don't know that it's necessarily playoff experience, but I think it's just experience with things in general. I think it's just time and wisdom and maturity. Yep. And, you know, I'm not trying to just bring up narratives that aren't necessarily narratives, but nobody seems to at all be killing the Rams for resting their players in Week 17. That was a conscious decision I still think it was that Sean McVay made. I, still think it was I mean, I understand. But but they were very obviously flat. I mean, mm. it may be the right move in a vacuum, but it is the wrong move if this happens. And that's kind of stupid to say, but it's the truth. Yep. I mean, it, it's it, mm. it's only brilliant if it works. That's sort of the way the NFL works. Yep. And they were very obviously flat. And you can only attribute it to them sort of taking that week off because they'd been, as you said, the NFL's highest scoring offense entering that. You know, this is a, a situation where – they're just not ready. They're just too young. They're just kids. And I think that that showed against a team that has, uh, you know, to quote many a different movie, Atlanta has seen some things, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but oh, I think a lot of that was not just them being flat, but a lot of that, like Farrah Cooper had um, first, ho- first half turnover on a fumble kickoff, and then he also had another fumble as well. So just two sort of special teams errors, special teams coming up again, as I touched that earlier, that just provided Atlanta with some ball because... For a lot of this game, it was the defenses were overpowering the offenses, which we weren't really expecting. But the Rams' defense has been great all season, and I do think the Falcons' defense over the last month have been really, really strong. So it was kind of the, these special teams errors that kind of flipped the field and gave the Falcons a little bit of momentum. Um, look, Goff did throw for less than 10 yards in the first quarter, but Todd Gurley had three drops, and he only had one in the entire season. So is that nerves or them being flat from being rested? You know, that, that'll be a question, but... I do think it is nerves. You talk about the youth. Goff is only 23. Gurley's only 23. And Aaron Donald is only 26. Aaron Donald had a absolutely superb game. We'll get to him in a second. But I still think a very successful season for the Rams and McVay. He has them heading in the right direction. There's a lot of hope. And I think people should be excited about the future of this team. I think I think you're right. And I'm not trying to sort of be a wet blanket here. But it's hard to get to this point. It's insanely difficult, yeah. and that's why when, when players lose these types of games, they take it so difficult. And I don't know that the Rams are even old enough to realize that. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you look at, you know, the Rams are sort of the Cowboys of 2017 in terms of upstart, dominance, etc. And you look at just how easily that can be taken away yeah. because things just don't go your way. I mean, you're going to be a target in 2018. You're sort of the kings of that division now, and people are going to come after you. It's hard to get back. They're the perfect regression candidate team next season because of the emergence of Jimmy Garoppolo um, and then obviously mm. Russell Wilson. Um, hopefully we'll have an offensive line uh, next season. Um, and you can see, you know, I just can't see the Seahawks getting so banged up on defense yet again. They're going to be a new look team and not as um, with as flashy names. But you're talking about a quarterback with three competent quarterbacks. That's always going to be tough. Um, we saw how topsy-turvy the NFC South got this year. Um, I think that division is going to be very, very competitive. So you could see them maybe not being as successful. And you're right, it is hard to get there. And they, they blew a perfect opportunity because they were healthy and, and playing well. And they could have gone on a 
on a deep playoff run if they got over this hump. Um, I mentioned Aaron Donald. He was insane, and the Rams just need to hand him a blank check, basically, with a name your price number, because he deserves to be the highest-paid defensive player in the NFL. I've always thought this ever since the Hard Knocks episode. I think you'll remember where they were playing ping pong. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. I've always thought he he literally looks like the Incredible Hulk. That's yeah. literally what he looks like. Uh, yeah, I mean, he let that dude have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, give him anything. Give him give him the city of Los Angeles. Give him all of it. Yep. Not as many changes uh, for the Rams as opposed to the Chiefs um, in terms of um, you know swallowing the loss and and moving on from a quarterback and offensive coordinator and all that sort of stuff. But we need to talk about the Falcons. They did indeed win this game, and I think we need to give them. A credit for the way that their defense played. They averaged, uh, they held Goff to 5.8 yards per attempt. They bottled up Todd Gurley for most of the night, um, and they played really well. Dion Jones, Keanu Neal, uh, Desmond Trufant, who wasn't in the playoffs last year, uh, Robert Alford played well. Uh, they're just a really, really solid defense, and even though their offense isn't sort of firing on all cylinders or as scary as they looked last season, you know, Julio and Matt Ryan can produce on their day, and with the way their defense is playing, I do think they're a legit threat. I think they can easily knock off the Eagles. We'll get to that in a minute. But we could see this team in back-to-back NFC Championship games. It really, you know, it is hard here because this could have been the path the Cowboys took. Uh, you know, this would have been their their spot had they made the playoffs over the Falcons. Could have been the spot the Lions took. Could have been the spot the Seahawks took. Um, and and it's, it's tough because, you know, I don't really believe in the Falcons, but I tell you what, I mean, I was wrong and I'm, I'm, I'm fine saying that. I know you're a, a Falcons guy. Yep. I mean, the, the fact that they even got back to the playoffs is so impressive after yep. what they've been through. I mean, it says a lot about their mental resolves. It's a lot about Dan Quinn yep. and, you know, the, the karmic energy of the NFL is kind of rewarding them. It's like, Hey, here's a Rams team. That's kind of flat. And here's Nick Foles. Like you said, we'll get there. Um, but, you know, I think the most undervalued piece to their team is Mohamed Sanu. He was the guy that, that you know, sort of had the icing play here yep. in this game. Is he the best wide receiver, too, in the NFL? Oh, I don't know about that, but I think he's definitely up there. Uh, well, but but he works. He, he is literally the perfect piece that they need to complement Julio Jones. I don't know that anybody is more perfect than him. I think he's the perfect wide receiver, too, for that team. I absolutely agree. Like, he's the perfect fit. And when the signing happened, a lot of people were a little bit scratching their chin about that, but I do think he has solid hands and, and, and reliable target for, for Matt Ryan. Um, but, uh, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster is pretty exciting uh, for the Steelers um, over there. It's hard to go past a Steelers player, but, uh, yeah, he he is he is really, really good. Uh, and I think him and Deion Jones, uh, kind of new additions to the team over the last couple of seasons, are, are really flashing. And I, you're right, Dan Quinn and, 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 and to a lesser extent Matt Ryan, to, to overcome sort of what was what happened to them last season and make the playoffs, um, yeah, definitely commended for that. So, um, we should see what they do in Philly, but I think whoever uh, fa- whoever they face, if they we're assuming here that they do, they do beat Philly. Um, spoiler alert! But um, if if they can knock off uh, New Orleans or Minnesota, then we'll have to give them a lot more credit for for the way that they've played over the last sort of six weeks. Uh, all right, moving on to no all right, moving on to Buffalo and Jacksonville. We won't spend too much time on this game because it was. It was terrible. Is that one of the worst playoff games you've ever watched? Who? Um, it might be the worst. Um, it might be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> um, even Ryan Lindley game at least had something. A little bit more points when he played quarterback for the 
for the Cardinals a few years ago. But yeah, Jacksonville win ten to three. Um, but we got what is a catch playoff edition. So Jalen Ramsey had that that game sealing interception. Um, whether it was a catch or not, amazing display of athleticism from him. Um, he's just fantastic. So fun to watch. Breath of fresh air as well off off the camera, uh, off the field as well, and on camera. Um, but Steelers fans, ironically, who they play this week, have to be very confused by the decision to call that a catch after Jesse James' controversial non-touchdown um, cost them the one seed. They would have been at home facing the Titans and possibly hosting this, the Patriots um, in a week from now. What's the? What is a catch? I thought Jalen Ramsey's was a catch right away. Although I did, you know, sort of understand Tony Romo, you know, sort of is his hand under it, et cetera. I, this, honestly, I mean, I understand why Steelers fans are, are upset about this, but this really didn't at all seem questionable to me. This seemed pretty standard. I, I didn't really feel like there was a large level of disagreement on Ramsey's interception. And by the way, is, is he already the best corner in the NFL? I think he is. I, I, I think uh, it was a passing of the torch moment in that game when he sealed that uh... – Sealed that victory there. I think he is he is the guy. He is he is so just absolutely incredible. He's a bulldog. He is just relentless. He's he's Julio Jones and AJ Boye isn't necessarily Mohamed Sanu, but I mean they they are just yeah. it is incredible what they have. I mean it is unreal what they have. I can't remember when it was, but at some point during the season, it was actually you would have got a better quarterback rating spiking the throwing the ball away than throwing it. Um, to either one of those two guys, um, the way that they were mm. playing early on in the season. So, yeah, crazy. I, see, I still think that Jesse James was clearly a touchdown because he had control and extended it over the line. But anyway, uh, let's move on. Blake Bortles' performance, uh, obviously massive, massive cause uh, for concern. Only 87 passing yards on 23 attempts. So, it, you know, he had completed 14 of 14, uh, 6 of 14 passes for 33 yards at halftime. Um, so, look... The only bright spark was obviously his rushing, running into the cameraman, but avoiding any really bad mistakes that the Bills couldn't capitalize on potential turnovers um, from Blake Bortles' passes. But he is obviously an Achilles heel for this team because you have to game plan to try to avoid him making mistakes. It's just, it, that's not a great recipe to win games. I completely agree. I mean, there are quarterbacks that sometimes they do just enough to win. It feels like, and like you're saying, it's their disposition. Blake did just enough not to lose uh, this game. I mean, just sort of mitigated his own mistakes. And there was that 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 window. And I know you know sort of the point in time where it was it was sort of stop being mean to Blake. You know, Blake is is actually kind of good. You know, Blake is the perfect quarterback for the Jaguars. This this has got to be like you said. It's got to be terrifying. I mean, if if I was Jalen Ramsey and you were AJ Boye, I would be so just unbelievably upset that we're this all-world pair and that we're just dragging this lifeless dead weight, <laughs> you know, and, and that he has to – that we're so dependent on him. That that just has to be so frustrating. Yep. He's the third starting quarterback since 1970 to win a playoff game with more rushing yards than passing yards, joining Michael Vick and Bob Greasy as the only other two in that category. But I'll say this, here's a stat for you. So first ever playoff game. Touchdowns, Blake Bortles 1, Tom Brady 0. Interceptions, Blake Bortles 0, Tom Brady 1. Passer rating, Blake Bortles 75.8, Tom Brady 70.4. So, I don't know, Blake Bortles already uh, starting off uh, a Tom Brady-like playoff career. <laughs> I mean, that that makes sense. I had a question that I was so excited to ask you. 
Who wins the game, the 2017 Jaguars or the 2015 Broncos? That's a great question. And can we put in the 2000, like, I think it was 2002 or whatever, the uh, the, the Pats as well? Because I'd like to go back and listen to the commentary on that game when, like, it, uh, 2001 Pats, sorry. Like, it was in 2002, the games, in the, in the playoffs. But it, whether, like, what did people think about this Tom Brady guy? Because, like, he was kind of a new kid on the block and you had this amazing defense as well. Obviously, you go back and look at it now, like, you know, he's a champion, this is what he does, but I wonder what people thought if whether he was, a, like, a, a little bit of a, was he going to be the, the cause for concern for this team if they lost the playoffs, whether it was just him not being good enough. Do you know what I mean? I mean, perhaps, yeah. but but you're right. I mean, I think we're all sort of, you know, swayed by what he became. That's yeah. why I think, you know, isolating these two teams, I, I feel like, and maybe forget the who would win the game, is 2017 Blake better than 2015 Peyton? Because that's kind of I, I don't think he is. I, I, look, I think rushing the ball, obviously Blake can bust off more first downs, and but I do I just don't think Blake Bortles has the intelligence that uh, 2015 Manning did, where y- you could walk up at a line of scrimmage, Peyton could see something, check to a run, and that would result in a new set of downs or a big play or a touchdown. I don't think Blake has the ability to to do that. And Peyton still made some some big time throws. He obviously had that throw to Owen Daniels in the AFC Championship game, audible at the line of scrimmage. So I do think Peyton's mind obviously gave him a massive more advantage than Blake Bortles. But I think running the ball, Peyton's not going to run for 88 yards um, on any goddamn night against anybody. That's fair. And, and really, as we're talking about it, I feel for Malik Jackson because he's had to endure both of them. <laughs> and he's just got to feel like, dude, I can only do so much. This is yeah. unreal. Yeah, I don't feel for him at all. He's a Super Bowl champion, so he's fine. That's fair. Yeah. Um, speaking of quarterback play, obviously Blake Bortles was terrible. Tyra Taylor wasn't much better. Um, as I said at the top of the show, Tony Romo, best quarterback um, at the stadium, um, let's be honest. But a rough outing for Tyrod. Similar to Alex Smith, this could be his final game as the Bills quarterback. He struggled for most of Sunday before he left the game late in the fourth quarter. He got violently slammed to the turf by Dante Fowler. Finished 17 to 37 for 134 yards and an interception. But he was playing against the top-rated, you know, pass defense in the NFL, and we've seen plenty of quarterbacks struggle this season, including uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But you know, the the notion that this playoff loss might serve as his lasting memory of Taylor's tenure, I think, kind of is a bad note for Tyrod because I do think he's been their best quarterback probably since Jim Kelly. I agree that he has, and I agree that Tyrod certainly is underappreciated by Bill's you know, front office uh, and, and ownership uh, staff. But this game was sort of the perfect Tyrod Taylor game to describe who he's been in Buffalo because he's been against all odds, as he was against this stout Jaguars defense. He's done you know, enough to kind of be like, well, wow, nobody had really done that, I guess. But ultimately, he's still not been good enough, and he got hurt. Mm. I mean, this is Tyrod Taylor as a Buffalo Bill, if we've ever seen it. Yeah, exactly. I do think, um, and we'll get to uh, in the next game, a quarterback lacking weapons, you got to look at who Tyrod was throwing the ball to, like Nico Leary, Logan Thomas, Charles Clay. Uh, you know, Zay Jones isn't much at this point. I feel like... If you gave him a few more weapons, they traded away their their best weapon. Um, you, you you traded for an overweight Kelvin Benjamin. I, like I just, I feel like it's a bit unfair to judge Tyrod that way. But I do would like to see Tyrod, you know, or Alex Smith for that matter. Imagine them with the with the Jaguars. Mm, mm, that'd be so much fun. 
Oh, God, that'd be so much fun. By the way, Nick O'Leary, Jack Nicholas's grandson. Did yeah. you know that? He was at the game, I believe. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Pretty cool. I thought yeah. that was neat. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Tony Romo would have loved that, the golf fan in him. Is he doing the Masters this year? Uh, I mean, no way. It's always Jim and Nick Faldo. There's no uh, way that Romo is uh, replacing uh, Sir Faldo. What about uh, Jim, though, eventually, down the line? I just I, – I, I felt like that was – I mean, I'll be honest with you. That was a really annoying thing when people were like, oh, you can do golf and you can do basketball because he enjoys those things. Yes, all of a sudden Tony Romo is more qualified than Nick Faldo or Grant Hill to serve as uh, CBS's golf or basketball analysts. Yeah. I don't know. I would listen to Tony Romo <laughs> commentate anything for that matter. Um, he can do women's volleyball and I'll listen. Um, so uh, actually I like volleyball. It's been on ESPN, the Ocho a few times. I like it. It's pretty good. Well, uh, respect. Yeah. Um, how is your channel doing? The numbers good? <laughs> uh, they are. Everything's uh, 8 million yeah. is the rating. Wow. Ocho million is what we oh, call it. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Uh, any final thoughts on this game before we move on? Thank God it's over. Yes. That's really my final thought. <laughs> Did a radio spot before I came on here, and they uh, went game by game with me, and they're like, all right, let's talk Buffalo and Jacksonville, and I literally just said, let's move on, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they liked it. So uh, just a little bit of comedy gold from the old Y-man on uh, Australian Airwaves. Just fantastic. All right, last game, well probably the best game of Wild Card Weekend. Uh, would you agree? Man, this was, uh, was a great game, and it was uh, – it was a great uniform matchup in a, in a subtle way. I loved this game. Yeah. You, I love that how excited you get about uniform matchups. You make me excited about it because I'm like, oh, man, OJ's going to like this when I see it on camera or I don't know whether he will. Um, but Carolina 26, New Orleans 31. The Panthers faced a cool breeze, um, and we'll get to that in a second. But the kind of the big talking point out of this game was the, uh, the Cam Newton concussion hit. Um, so the NFL and NFLPA have initiated a review in whether the concussion protocol was properly followed after the hit on Cam Newton. He exited um, after taking a hit to the head in the fourth quarter by David Onyemata. It was a massive hit. Um, he attempted to walk off, but instead sat down on the field near Carolina's sideline. It was attended to by team doctors. The quarterback was then evaluated for a concussion in a medical tent and then quickly cleared to return. Um, but it raised some eyebrows because the modifications to the concussion protocol meant that if a player stumbles and or falls to the ground when trying to stand, they have to go straight to the locker room. And that's what we saw with Travis Kelsey. And by the way, Travis Kelsey, if Travis Kelsey's out for the game, you run the ball more, Chase. What are you doing? Um, like, <laughs> come on. And his value is shown as well, by the way. Without without Kelsey, that passing game falls apart. Uh, but anyway, they should be sent directly to the locker room um, for the exam. But... Uh, According to Cam and the coach afterwards, he said that there was some concussion protocol things that happened, but it wasn't his head. It was actually his eye. He said his helmet came down low enough over his eyelid and it got pressed on a player's stomach, he believes. He said he thought someone had stuck a finger in his eye, which that might sound all fair and reasonable. But then why is he stumbling on the ground if it's an eye, eye thing? It's either that there was a protocol that wasn't followed or that Cam Newton is the most dramatic person in the NFL. And honestly, I feel like they're equally believable. (laughs) Yeah. I love Cam, but yeah, definitely. (laughs) And and, I mean, the the whole thing is, I mean, at this point, I I don't even get frustrated anymore. I don't even get mad or angry or whatever anymore. It It is just, it is hilarious that the NFL thinks that we're just literally this stupid that we all will understand that the rule is for him to go to the locker room and that millions of people watching the game will see him not go to the locker room and that nobody will bat an eye about it. It is, it is insane. And it, it, it reminded me of when we 
we spoke about this a few weeks ago, and you mentioned, I think you used the example with, say, Tom Brady on a final Super Bowl drive. Like, what happens here? And we got close to that because it was a really close game, and the Panthers were coming to get the ball back. Um, what was going to happen in this game? And obviously, we saw kind of what happened. I mean, yeah, I I do, you know, I, I want to see that happen just so that we can kind of, uh, you know, it, it's sort of going to be the Dez catch of this rule, if you will, yeah. where the the rules or the officials demand that a player go to the locker room uh, when his team is trailing by four points in the final 30 seconds uh, and they have no timeout, so there's going to be a 10-second runoff, of course. I mean, I really want to see that happen, but that is what it is going – it is literally going to take a firestorm, a, a what was it, a bomb cyclone yeah. of all of these things happening for the NFL to say, hey, I think we have a problem here. We should yeah. probably address this. But I feel like if the Panthers went on to win this game, it could have created an absolute uh, – part of my French storm um, based off what what were the implications here – think the Panthers would happily take a fine if it meant that they won the game in advance of the week. I don't think they really cared about Cam Newton if it meant a playoff victory. But that's the point. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Is, is it not possible that the, all of the Panthers staff in that moment knew the rule and kind of said, you know what, to hell with it. I mean, yeah. he's going to play. This yeah. game is way too important. Yeah. That's going to happen no matter what. Hmm. A couple of plays later, though, after, uh, like, after the McCaffrey touchdown and he was watching them drive, I saw him on the sideline. He looked, he looked fine. Like He actually looked like... He probably would have passed the concussion test anyway. I feel like he looked as bad as that hit was. He's just such a big dude um, that it, like, it would have crushed most quarterbacks completely, um, whereas Cam, not so much. He, I feel like he would have passed it. Like I just don't understand why they didn't just go to the locker room and, and do it because I do think they would have passed, but I, I guess they're worried that if he did fail it, that meant Gonski out of the game, um, Derek Anderson in the game. So uh, we'll have to wait and see until we get that Dez-type moment from there. But speaking of Cam... Um, Get get the man some weapons. It's unbelievable. Like the guy needs some help. He's just he's got no one out there. There's so many drops killed them in this game early, and then he just couldn't get anyone that could separate down the field in the clutch. It really is annoying. I mean, who who is the only first round receiver he's ever been given? Kelvin Kelvin Benjamin, Benjamin. traded, and they traded him away. I mean, what what is it's it's so frustrating how you know Russell Wilson doesn't have an offensive line. How Cam Newton doesn't have any weapons. It's like, why are these franchises just pissing away these golden talents mm. by not surrounding them with help? It, it just, it is unfathomable. It is insane. And and, the, and even when they have a weapon, they don't use him the right way. They don't use McCaffrey. We saw a little bit of some McCaffrey gold when putting in the right way. And he turned the, the, turned the burners on and absolutely just smoked at home. And it was great to watch. And... Greg Olson's fun, you know. They sure the two combined for 14 receptions and 208 yards. But if you look on the other side of the ball, Drew Brees was dealing. He had plenty of options to choose from, and plenty of people to torture you with. And you know, it's kind of funny that after a Kalen Clay drop in the in the uh, in the, early in the game, the following drive it was Ted Ginn of all people to to haul in a big catch and uh, stick it to the Panthers. That's true. And and Clay is a guy who wasn't even on their team when they started the season. It's just. I mean, it's it's so unfair that, that Drew Brees has all these weapons because his franchise gets it and that Cam doesn't. I feel like, you know, sort of a, a, a you know early bold prediction, if the Packers do part ways with Jordy Nelson and or Randall Cobb, it feels like Carolina could be the place they go. You yeah. know what I mean? It just kind of feels like that makes sense. I do think they need to be in the market for a, a free agent wide receiver, and I think they definitely should consider wide receiver uh, in the draft here. So I do think 
get some weapons because Newton played lights out and he made this game interesting because the the Saints are definitely the far superior team in all of this. Cam Newton was just unbelievable, and so was Drew Brees. But the fact that this game was even close is 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 credit to to Cam Newton's ability. It really is. I mean, well said, um, Cam balled out. It's just uh, he's limited by his team. It's so, unfortunate. Some of the takes as well after this game about Cam Newton, not the concussion thing, just his play was just it's just blew my mind. Uh, uh, please stand on the escalator heading to the sun with some of those takes. Just get rid of them. <laughs> um, but. The talking point for the Saints, I feel like, is the big names. You know, the Saints' big-time players, they came to play. Um, the best cam on the field, not named Newton, was Cameron Jordan. He finished with a sack, two pass deflections, and four hits on Newton. I think he had three, sort of three hits on Newton in the last couple of minutes where the game was on the line. And then uh, he called out Matt Khalil after the game, calling him a speed bump. Cam Jordan's been absolutely lights out. Michael Thomas emerged as a dominant force for the New Orleans offense. Um, he's just... Unbelievable. Quietest kind of like season from him. Like he just keeps going about his business in a way that's crazy. He had eight catches, 131 yards. He can just win in so many ways. It's He's so smooth. He tracks the ball so well. He's got the best Twitter handle that's just so appropriate. He is really, really, really great. And I used to kind of, when you think about like the top five receivers in the NFL, I think right now I'd say Antonio, DeAndre Hopkins, Odell, Julio, AJ Green. That's probably my top five. Yep. But I would, I would put Michael Thomas right there. I mean, I kind of had Mike Evans as that right there guy a year ago. Michael Thomas feels like that guy right now. Yeah, I think him, Keenan Allen, and Adam Thielen are this new crop of players to enter that sort of top 10 wide receiver debate. And I'm just glad that he's beaten Jarvis Landry's record for most receptions in first two seasons of the NFL because he's a far better player than Jarvis Landry. Um, Jarvis Landry, also a candidate to be a Carolina Panther next year. Uh, that... Uh, yeah, they, they could do with an underneath uh, receiver, although Jarvis Landry is the only receiver in NFL history to have over 100 catches in a season, but less than 1,000 yards. Do you know how hard wow. that is to do? That's, <laughs> like You have to be so bad at your job that you'd come up with that. How do you not go for 1,000 yards on 100 catches? How, he just runs slants for days. Come on. Come on, run some deeper it's, routes, Jarvis. Please, get back it's, to me. It's something Andy Reid would love to get his hands on. Yes. Um, and finally, Drew Brees. We've got to touch on him. 376 yards, two touchdowns, continues his insane streak of uh, home touchdowns and, and no interceptions in playoff games, although he got gifted uh, one late in that game that, uh, and it will be banished from the uh, box score and the record books forever. But, um, you know, Brees himself had taken sort of a backseat to this running tandem of Ingram and Kamara for, for most of the regular seasons, but... The Panthers were so dead set on focusing on that and stopping that that Breeze was unable was able to to hit Michael Thomas for big games, Ted Ginn, even Josh Hill. What about Josh Hill in a big spot? But uh, it's kind of interesting looking at this team now. You're kind of damned if you you do, damned if you don't when it comes to stopping Ingram and Kamara. So this is definitely interesting for the Ram, uh, for the Saints propositions going forward because if you attempt to stop Ingram and Kamara, you just you're going to get killed by Breeze. It's it's a really interesting thing to look at, and it feels so random that it's happening to the Saints of all teams. It just it feels out of place, but it also feels like it fits. And also, I mean, this was I think the first Saints home playoff game since 2012. I mean, it's just it's been a while. That's why I think we're kind of feeling weird about this because it's been a while since they've been here uh, with this level of authority. 
yeah, it is kind of uh, kind of crazy. And then they'll uh, they'll play in what's going to be the best matchup for next week. And we'll, let's get to that right now. Three, snap, this. Won't spend too much time on the well, what's called the Sunday games here. Saturday over here, first game over there. Sorry, Falcons at Eagles Sunday, eight forty a.m. Uh, this is pretty stunning. You got a six seed, um, a dome team playing on the road in January uh, in an open air stadium against the number one seed, and they're actually two and a half point favorites. Um, that's pretty crazy. It's actually the f- uh, no six seeds ever been favored over a one seed since the playoff field expanded to twelve teams. Back in 1990, I was born in 1990. So, well, that's uh, that's quite a throwback, quite a great year. Yep. I mean, this is this is just. I mean, are the Eagles about to be put out of their Carson Wentz got hurt misery? Like that's what this feels like. This is just yep. you know, this is uh, we're, we're going in, um, we're not coming out, and uh, we'll see you in 2018. Yeah, exactly. And the one avenue that they can can win this game is running the ball. Obviously, you don't trust Nick Foles to, to play a confident game and win win a game if Jared Goff and Sean McVay couldn't get it together. But, you know, in his last two games, he's coll- collectively, he's never hit 50 in two fairly significant categories, completion percentage and passer rating. 46.9 completion percentage, 48.2 passer rating. So Frank Reich, it's going to just mean it's just going to be running the ball thirty to forty times with uh, Ajayi and Legarren Blount. But you trust a, a Falcons defense that stopped Todd Gurley. He only got over a hundred yards late in that game in the fourth quarter with some with a with a big run, um, sort of late in that game. They shut down Todd Gurley with Keanu Neal and Deion Jones. You trust that they could do that here? I just can't see a way where the, the Eagles win this game. I know they're at home in a and a and a dog. It's hard to hard to believe, but I just can't go past the Falcons. You can't. It's. I mean, you would be wild to do so. It, it would take Andy Reid managing this team for them to lose. I mean, it, it really <laughs> would. The, the Falcons. I mean, again, to their credit, you know, they've fought and and lasted, and they finally sort of get a layup. I mean, again, think about it. They they staved off the Lions, the Cowboys, and the Seahawks, who if they had lost any one of those games would not be sitting where they are. And so they've kind of earned this right to get this, uh, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, walk in the park before the game, before the big game. Yep. Uh, I definitely think Fletcher Cox and co. will be watching Aaron Donald's tape um, from last week to, to work out an appropriate game plan to try and shut down this Falcons offense. But... Look, the Eagles' defense is good. They finished the year as the number one ranked DVOA defense, uh, surprisingly, um, with some really good teams out there um, in terms of Jacksonville and uh, Minnesota. But uh, they were the more complete team across the board in rushing and passing, whereas Jacksonville were really lowly ranked in in rushing D. Um, So, look, if there is a hope, it's limiting a low score and and controlling the clock and, and maybe winning you know, that time of possession battle and, and coming away with it. But I'm going to take the uh, the Falcons. Uh, I'm going to give a score prediction like we did last week. We were way off on a lot, but that's a bit of fun. Um, I, I don't know. Give me your score first, and I'll work out what I'm doing. <laughs> I will take the Falcons. And, and, you know, the Eagles' defense, I think, will make a valiant effort. So I think they'll keep it kind of close. I'll take the Falcons 23-13. to 23-13. Falcons. All right, I'm writing this down so we're uh, on top of it. Because if we hit on one, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna just spruik the hell out of it. Like we predicted the exact score. Like we're geniuses. Um, if so... we hit on it, you get it tattooed on your forehead. That's the deal. <laughs> uh, 
I'm going to take Atlanta 24-10. to 10. Mm. The Eagles have not scored a lot of points in the last few weeks of football. So 24-10, comprehensive win. It's going to be a boring start to wildcard weekend. I'm not overly keen on that game, but, you know, it's playoffs and, and things happen. Look at the Titans-Chiefs game. I weren't really excited about that, but it turned into a bit of a uh, bit of a good game, sneaky good game. Um, all right, speaking of layups, you mentioned the Falcons having a bit of a layup. The Pats, I can't remember the last time they've had an easy, uh, difficult divisional round. They played Brian Hoyer last season. They got the Titans this season. Pretty easy game. I uh, I think I can remember the last time, um, if it makes you feel better. I believe it was 2009 when the Baltimore Ravens visited them and beat them. I, I believe so. And I remember, if I'm correct, that a, a young child uh, called the first play of the game for the Ravens. Uh, he was sick and John Harbaugh had visited him. And I believe it was something like a Ray Rice 73-yard touchdown. So It's something like that. I'm fairly positive and they lost that game. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah. I'm just looking back at their record. Yeah, I think it is kind of the Ravens that they've had the most difficulty with in the division. So they obviously had Brian Hoyer last season. The year before, they had Alex Smith, who no one ever takes seriously in the playoffs. And, um, Alex and Smith I know I know they took on the Ravens in 2014, and that was the game that the Ravens had a 14-point lead. Twice. That they, squand- yeah, that, they, that they squandered twice. So, I mean, it has been the Ravens that have at least made yeah. the divisional round somewhat interesting for them uh, in seasons past. But I know they did lose it in 2009. Yeah, so 2000 and uh, looking back, so yeah, the, the Ravens in 2014 is the lone exception. Then they completely just uh, obliterated the Colts. Um, and then they had the Texans again. Uh, and that game was... Uh, a bit of a layup as well, 41-28. to 28, They were versing just Matt Sharp, And then the game before that was the uh, Broncos-Tebow game. They won like 45-10. to 10. And then you, all the way back in 2010 was the last time they lost in the divisional round, and that was against Mark Sanchez, of all people. Um, yeah, and, so. <laughs> and so I'm thinking of 2009 then. And it wasn't the divisional round. It had to have been the wild card round because that was the year that, that Mark Sanchez won the division. Yep. Uh, and they lost to the Ravens in the wild card round. Yeah, so they yeah they lost that. That was the one that I thought of as well when someone asked me the same question about the last time the Pats have had a really hard uh, divisional game. So I think 2014 is probably the answer with, with the, the Ravens. They always matched up well, but... Um, they're going to be 14-point favorites here. They're at the moment. They're 13-point favorites. It'll probably uh, there'll be some money laid, obviously, for the Pats. There always is. Um, so double-digit favorites should easily win. Very similar formula here for for the Titans to the Eagles. If they are going to have any chance of keeping this interesting, Derrick Henry should run the ball a minimum 35 times. I mean, 35 even feels quite light. I mean, it should be. <laughs> it should. I mean, Derrick Henry should. Have to they should have to get a sled out to pull him out of the stadium when they're done. I mean, they should exhaust him. Yeah. Um, it, it's uh, I tell you what though, if the Titans win this game, oh my gosh, just, I mean, I I just I can't even imagine. But it won't happen. If the, Titan, it, if the Titans win the this Patriots... game, I'll I'll eat a raw onion on it, a whole raw onion. <laughs> okay, but I weren't the Patriots fourteen and a half point favorites against Brock last year. So I mean, you're talking. Back-to-back years where you're, at the very least, I know you're saying right now, a 13-point favorite in the divisional round. That's yeah. absurd. It's a, they're just layups. It's a second bye week. If they end up having to play the Jags next week, three straight bye weeks to head into the Super Bowl, that's that's just an incredible layup. That's just so easy. 
Well, not only is it a is it a Leia, but now they've got you know the Nas in their engine, so to speak, with this uh, Seth Wickersham article motivating them beyond belief. Fantastic I mean, it's piece just, of journalism. In all whatever. I mean, it's, I, I appreciated the report. I thought it was great. Um, I will take the I will take the Patriots. I'm gonna tell you, I'm, they're gonna win thirty eight okay. to thirteen. <laughs> thirty eight to thirteen. That's a that's a great scoreline. Um, I will mention this as well. Uh, in New England's past two games, the Pats have rushed for three hundred and forty yards and passed for four hundred and one yards, and they've averaged thirty three um, minutes in possession time while winning two games by a combined forty one points. So the, the running game of New England's been very underrated the last month. I think Dion Lewis has definitely been carrying them, um, and then their defense has just vastly improved over the last uh, since the first month of the season. Um, and this one's also interesting as well. Um, New England coming off a, a bye. Um, the next four games, they've allowed 16, 8, 17, and 3 points respectively. So I couldn't expect more than 17 points from New England. This is the biggest gap in DVOA in the entire playoffs. New England won Tennessee 18. So I'm going to go with uh, New England as well. Shock horror. Um, 18's a good margin here. So I'm going to go uh, 35 to 7. That's what I'm going with there. 35-7. New England easily um, rally in this one. I just, are you excited at all for this game or not really? This is conveniently timed. I'll say that. Saturday night, in the, you know, tail end of football season, maybe you have some chores to do, whatever. You got to go somewhere. You got to party. You got somewhere to be. If you had to miss a game in, in the divisional round, hey. But I will say that you know, the Saturday of divisional round has been quite spectacular over the last few years. Um, again, I'll never forgive my friend Josh. Uh, shout out to he and his wife, Ashley, because they got married during the Broncos-Ravens 2012 divisional round game. I hate them so much for that. <laughs> um, I did a uh, a tweet uh, on the what day? Tuesday after the, uh, the wild card round, round finished. I, I wrote playoff forces power rankings, and I listed sort of the most powerful things in the playoffs here. And I just want to get your thoughts on this. The Pats have three of the top six here. So I definitely think they're a very strong candidate. And, and the Titans don't appear on this list until nine. So I have Bill Belichick's number one, obviously. The Vikings defense is second. The Saints offense is third. The Ben Bell Brown trio is fourth. I've got Rob Kronkowski separate to the Pats offense because I just think he's so much of a difference maker for them. We saw how sort of uh, touch and go they were without him. And then I have the rest of the Patriots offense ranked sixth there. Jags defense, Ryan DeJulio, Derek Henry ninth, Eagles defense tenth. And then I have another 89 things there. Uh, and then Nick Foles and Blake Bortles are uh, 99 and 100. Thoughts on that list? <laughs> I think that that list makes sense. And in fact, Mike Malarkey belongs probably in between Nick Foles and Blake Bortles. I think that's fair. I mean, <laughs> this is this is just... I mean, it's not even David versus Goliath. I mean, this is David <laughs> versus 10 Goliaths. I mean, 100 Goliaths. It's you just... You can't trust Malarkey to have a, a game plan smart enough to outsmart Belichick and win this game. It's just not coming out. But, you, you know, it is, uh, it is somewhat fitting. I mean, at, at some point, every AFC team, or AFC South team, has to lose in the divisional round in New England. It was the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2007. Uh, it was Colts. the Indianapolis Colts in 2013 in the divisional round. It was the it was the Houston Texans many different times. Yep. I mean, so Titans, 
congratulations, you've reached relevancy. This is what happens when you're an AFC team that's not the Patriots. Yep, definitely. Uh, question, it's 13-point favorites. If Blake, uh, if uh, Brian Hoyer was starting at quarterback, the Pats would still be, what, a four-point favorite? Oh, six and a half. Yeah, okay, fair. All right, let's move on. Jaguars at Steelers. Now, these Monday games are a little bit more exciting. Jags at Steelers. Um, the Steelers, they are a seven-and-a-half-point favorite here at home, but we know that the Jaguars, uh, you know, one of the stunning results this season was them winning 30-9, to the five-interception game of Ben Roethlisberger, and he, him famously saying, maybe I don't have it anymore. But just the other day, Roethlisberger confirmed that he wanted to play the Jags in this divisional game. I'd love to prove that that five-interception game, that just wasn't me. So that's going to be, you know, the story all week is this Steelers trio against this uh Jaguars secondary and, and Jaguars defense. I'm really keen to watch Antonio Brown and Juju against Jalen and Boye. Um, but it's going to come down to uh, the Steelers offense against the Jags. If you can get a lead against the Jaguars, I think it's all over. I think that the Jaguars, honestly, I, th- I think this is going to be the game that Blake kind of just it just has a game. Yeah, you know I mean? because that, that's going to happen, right? At some point, there's going to be – Blake's going to have his Tebow game. You know what I mean? T- and I think uh, t- yesterday, Monday, was the – uh, what six-year anniversary of Tebow's game coincidentally against the Steelers at some point I'm not saying Blake's going over 300 but at some point Blake's going to do something that justifies the fact that he is an NFL quarterback and it just feels like this is it when you consider that the winner of this game gets to play the Patriots with a ticket to the Super Bowl on the line when you consider what happened earlier in the season when you consider that it was the Jaguars who spelled the Steelers a decade ago with David Garrard and Maurice Jones-Drew mm. this I'm really excited for you. You mentioned it, Jalen Ramsey, Antonio Brown. This feels like that specific matchup, and I know it was two years ago, but it feels like when Josh Norman and Odell Beckham Jr. got to face off in New York, when the bat came out and everything, it feels like it's going to be that, but that's like the Steelers-Bengals equivalent because it got really dirty, but this is like the Steelers-Ravens equivalent because it's really classy and epic. I feel like, I just feel like Jalen Ramsey's going to win, and I feel like that's the difference here. I think... I, I, I'm feeling kind of bold. I, I'm going to take Jacksonville. I, okay. I really feel, again, what what more does Tom Brady need to do to get to the Super Bowl than to have Blake Bortles stand in his way? <laughs> yeah, to, to face Marcus Mariota and Blake Bortles and then possibly Case Keenum to a seventh uh, Super Bowl title uh, just to really put the cherry on top of a, of a really great uh, and, and sometimes lucky uh, playoff career. So uh, that would that would make sense. That would complete... Uh, at least the narrative in my mind um, of that. But yeah, I do think if the Jags do win, it is they are kind of like the AFC's version of Nick Foles and, and the Eagles. They need to run the ball a lot um, and just and hope that they can get a pick six or two and then just sort of grind out the clock. If they're going to win, they have to get a turnover, and it has to come from Jalen Ramsey or Yannick Nkokwe or Miles Jack or Telvin Smith. One of those guys, Clay Campbell, had a strong game again last week. Um, but I don't know. I just think the Steelers... Uh, are going to win it, but this will be the trendy pick. I think a lot of people can see the Jags winning, and it wouldn't completely shock me, but I'm going to take the, uh, the Steelers in a close game. I think it's going to be pretty low scoring. Um, outdoors, you know, I don't know, 40 points the, around that mark could be something. I'm going to go with, uh, tw- oh, man, that's hard, 21 to 13. Oh, I like the good score. 
Look, I feel like, and I'm getting really specific here. I know I said the Blake's going to have, you know, maybe a game. It feels like Blake's going to have a play, kind of like the play that Tua had uh, early on in the national championship, where he kind of bumped into a bunch of bulldogs and sort of found his way open and scrambled for the first down. I mean, it, it has to happen. Why? Because who was Blake's comp coming out of UCF? And and he's got the UCF magic riding behind him right now. Who was his his one comp? It was always Ben Roethlisberger. And Ben Roethlisberger is known to sort of absorb contact and bounce off because of his burly physical stature. I think that that's going to happen and maybe set up the winning Jaguars field goal. I think they win this game 19 to 16. 19, 16. Great score. Out there. I like it. Wow. Yeah, the USC Knights, uh, Black Knights, they're, uh, they're the national championship champions in my eyes, rightfully so. Um, just while I've been recording, some news has been <laughs> kind of dropping, so... Chargers are expected to keep Gus Bradley. I think that's a great decision, the way their defense played uh, this season. Um, the Bears are likely to retain Vic Fangio. We, we stressed the importance of that at the top of the show, talking about Matt Nagy. And it looks like the uh, Packers are going to be hiring Mike, Pe- Mike Pettin as their defensive coordinator. Well, all right, Vic Fangio. Let's see where he ends up. Yeah, so uh, defensive coordinator Pettin uh, is... I like that. I don't mind that at all. I feel like... He was okay as a Browns coach, guess especially better than Hugh Jackson, but all right, well, we'll wait and see how all that pans out. All right, last game. I definitely think this is the game of the round. Second straight week, and it involves the Saints, um, which gives me mixed feelings because I know they beat us in the Super Bowl, but they're a fun team to watch. And Sean, like, I don't mind Sean Payton, but he always looks smug. Like, always, always looks smug. It's weird. Even when he's doing, like, something nice, even in videos with, like, Jarius and stuff, which I like, and I, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. He still looks smug in all of them. It's just, I don't know. I can't get over that fact, but <laughs> he, uh, he's got a smuggy face. He, he he looks, I feel like we don't say this enough, and I know this sounds weird, and I actually kind of disagree with myself, but I feel like he kind of looks like Nick Saban. Like, he just, like that look you're describing, he just kind of looks like something's always bothering him. Yeah, definitely agree there. I feel like that's the case. But uh, So the NFL kind of lucked into this one. This is going to be a pretty good one uh, based off the results, although Vikings, Rams would have been just as good, but... Definitely the best game of the weekend. So you want to look to, to this game. The two the two met back in week one. The Vikings won 29-19. Sam Bradford threw for 346 yards. And Dalvin Cook ran for 127. And Adrian Peterson was still on the Saints. So um, And the four Saints, they had their uh, four rookies making their NFL debuts. But Drew Brees said, uh, speaking about this game, that he said, if you look back to the first tilt, you can't take too much away away from it because there's a night and day difference between the two, and I couldn't agree more. Um, we hadn't seen the emergence of Alvin Kamara. You know, Adrian Peterson was blocking the way. Those four Saints rookies that were making their debuts have been superb for them all season. Uh, two will probably be defensive uh, rookie and offensive rookies of the year. Sam Bradford obviously not playing, but Case Keenum now locked in. No Dalvin Cook. I do feel like this this game is going to be a lot closer than that first uh, first match back in uh, week one. I definitely agree, and looking at this, of all the storylines I want to buy into, it's that the Vikings could sort of play at home through the Super Bowl. I just – that would be so cool to see, yeah. I think, a team like the Vikings that that has sort of uh, experienced a lot of heartbreak over their franchise's history deserves right. it. A guy like Case Keenum kind of deserves it. Um, so I think that that would be great. Um, something that has really been bothering me about the Saints is – I mean – you and I both gave a lot of credit to Cam, but elite teams, teams that win Super Bowls, they don't let Cam hang in that game. They they, they put him away. 
and the Saints let Cam Newton and the Panthers kind of hang around in that game. It feels, you know, you, you talk about rest and, and rust and whatever. It feels like the rest is something that's going to do the Vikings very, very well. It, yep. I mean, of all the teams, it feels like they'll come out flying. And I feel like they're just going to live up to the hype. And I, I really feel like Minnesota gets this win. I, they just they honestly feel like the best team arguably in the NFL to me. And, and I'm, I'm pulling for them. Yeah, I'm definitely pulling for them too, and I'm pulling for them to host a home Super Bowl game. I just think as a an NFL fan, and it's never happened before, it'd just be an amazing feeling uh, for the week and see what see what could happen. But if it is against the Pats, and that was probably what it will likely be, um, a lot of their fans buy Super Bowl tickets every year, so it, you know they still might not have that big of a be a fan favorite in their own building if they are playing in the Super Bowl. Um, that's going to be something to watch and something to monitor um, come Super Bowl week if it is indeed those two teams because the Pats always represent themselves well um, in stadiums for the Super Bowl because they kind of expect it. They're a, they're a gifted um, franchise. Well, so it's kind of funny yeah. like as a fan to buy a ticket to a Super Bowl and you've got a more than 50% chance of making it pretty much every year. Sure, and I think something that's been lost, and when when this inevitably happens, when the Minnesota Vikings make the Super Bowl, this point will be discussed by all the national places, and people will remember that they heard it on the best Australian podcast in the world first. The Minnesota Vikings, while they would technically uh, host the Super Bowl, the NFC is the away team in Super Bowl 52. That's so again, while... While they technically would be playing in their stadium, they would be, you know, wearing their away jerseys, likely the white tops, the purple bottoms. They would be in the visitors' locker room. They would be on the opposite sideline. The AFC is the home team in Super Bowl Fifty Two. That's incredible. Um, do you think the AFC team would make them uh, go to the other locker room? Yes, absolutely. Why? Yeah. Why would you yeah. refute? You know that. Or, you know, why would you give them that advantage? Yeah, true. Um, this game as well also is the closest uh, DVOA matchup in, in the entire uh, playoff so far. You've got the number two ranked New Orleans team against the number three ranked Minnesota team. They're all so close um, across the board. Um, it's it's pretty amazing. The only difference is um, special teams. New Orleans slightly uh, 10 spots higher than, than Minnesota, but all the rest is like a three or four difference in offense and defense. So it's going to be a really close game. Um, I do want to commend Minnesota for rebuilding their off- their offensive line, and I do think that's going to be a difference maker for them. And it has been this season as, as giving Case Keenum enough protection. Um, we saw Cameron Jordan destroy Matt Khalil. Well, Matt Khalil's no longer a Viking. They've got a better left tackle there now that can uh, help protect Case Keenum and get the job done. I am really, really keen to watch um, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs take on Marshawn Lattimore um, in this game. I'm going to take the Vikings by a field goal. I think it's going to be a classic... 27-24. It's also a kind of a rematch from the 2009 um, Brett Favre Drew Brees game as well. It is. I mean, it's pretty amazing that Drew Brees has sort of lasted that long at the level that he has. I mean, it really is quite incredible. You mentioned uh, Marshawn Lattimore, and I think he's fantastic. I think we all agree with that. But it, he is a rookie, and at some point that will show. I mean, at some point, in, inevitably, that will show. And I think that against some talented route runners that he's taking on this weekend, I think that this is the case. Uh, no pun intended because of, of the Keenum. By the way, you had a, a keen pun that you missed out on. I, uh, I just wanted to point that out. Sorry. Uh, but I will take the Vikings 34 to 31. Man, that was going to be the score 30, I was going to use. I changed my mind. I'm going to go 34-30 on second thought. Okay. 34-30. I'm going to change my score um, just for a little bit of uh, fun here. So the, the NFC Championship game, 
The Saints won 31-28 to in overtime. I'm going to go with that. The Vikings win 31-28 mm-hmm. to in overtime. I'm going to go with that. Um, so if you want to bet it on does overtime, feel yeah. It does feel like it's it's destined for something wonky uh, because it was that game that you're mentioning, the 2009 NFC Championship game that sort of spurned the rules committee and competition committee to say we need to change overtime because Brett Favre was infuriated that he didn't get a chance to possess the ball in that overtime uh, and which is why we now have the uh, every team gets a chance to possess it unless the the first team scores a touchdown rule. Yeah, still hate overtime rules completely. I just think it should just be an extra quarter. Um, and that's it, um, especially in the playoffs. In the regular season, it's fine, but in the playoffs, I feel like it needs to be a, a sort of a mini-game within itself um, rather than just straight possessions. It just drives me drives me wild. And don't get me started on college football or overtime. That's just it's fun, but it's ridiculous. Uh, anyway, all right, so we've locked in here. Um, <laughs> uh, last week, we were on the same page for three of the games and we're different on one. You actually chose the Bills to upset the Jags last week. Now you're picking the Jags to win. Um, that's the only game we have different, so we'll wait and see how that all pans out. But definitely excited for div- Divisional Weekend, and uh, that wraps up the show. Before we do head off, RJ, where can people find your work? Sort of the hub for everything I do is uh, my Twitter handle, which is at RJ Ochoa. You can like Ocho Live on Facebook, and uh, you can get everything there as well. You can watch Ocho Live every day on my Twitter or Periscope on the Blog on the Boys Facebook, or you can read me at blogontheboys.com or at ESPNSA.com. But more importantly, you can uh, routinely catch me hanging out with my good pal, why uh, on uh, again the the best podcast and and I'm not just going to say in all of Australia in all lands that aren't America. Okay, that's cool. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, all right, well, please uh, check out that and follow RJ on Twitter and please check out the punt return. Uh, we're still doing uh, picks and uh, plays and betting angles uh, all the way into the Super Bowl and uh, the DFS down under podcast for divisional matchups and stacks there. And we'll be back next week. Peace. Thanks for listening to another installment of the Wooten Y Show. Check out previous episodes at WootenY.com and on iTunes. And follow each of the boys on Twitter at This Is Woot and at JYNFL. Or you can follow the podcast at WootenY.